Demons can sometimes use objects as conduits to achieve their desired goal. Their desired goal? Our souls, John. It wants her soul. No, no, no. Demons can't just take souls, Mia. The soul needs to be offered to the demon before it can take it. Welcome to Now Playing's The Conjuring Retrospective Series. It scares us just thinking about it. When you hear it, you're gonna think we're insane. Hosted by Marjorie. I'm gonna get you now. I can hear you breathing. Arnie. Oh my god. It's standing right behind you. And Stuart. God brought us together for a reason. This is it. This review will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, go ahead. Where do I start? From the first occurrence. Today we're discussing Annabelle, starring Annabelle. How, <laughs> how perfect is that? Actually, the doll's name is not Annabelle, but we'll get into it. Starring Annabelle Wallace, Ward Horton, Alfre Woodard, directed by John R. Leonetti. This is Arnie, the co-host of Now Playing, who's run off with his three husbands and likes to be called Star. Miss me, Stuart in L.A. And Marjorie. And we are back with a second bonus review. That's right. We are doing three shows a week right now. And I'll be perfectly honest, the workload's hard. But we're doing this first because we had a lot of demand last year and this year for us to review The Conjuring with Annabelle coming out. A lot of people asked for it. And second of all, we want to make sure you know that we are doing our fall donation drive, just in case you haven't listened to all nine Children of the Corn reviews. Right, yeah. If you like horror, we're doing, well, we're doing Leprechaun. <laughs> and anyone that's listened to our show knows that's the series I never wanted to do. How's it been going so far? Well, we're halfway done, and it hasn't been as bad as I predicted it would be five years ago. Um, it hasn't uh, been a classic either. But if you want to hear horror, it's Children of the Corn and Leprechaun for us this October. Plus this conjuring and annabelle or if you want to hear fantasy lord of the rings the hobbits battle of the five armies is coming out this december that is our silver level donation right now and we're doing our donations a bit differently it's a la carte you can choose silver level six lord of the rings reviews for 15 dollars. you can choose gold seven leprechaun reviews for 15 dollars or you can get both with a platinum level donation for $30. You get those 13 reviews plus three exclusive bonus reviews. We reviewed the animated Hobbit trilogy from the 70s and early 80s. This is our way of raising money. Without listener donations, this show could not continue. We couldn't pay for our servers. We couldn't pay for tickets for Annabelle. And quite honestly, it's donors that help us to prioritize and decide you know, let's throw in a bonus retrospective series because the listeners want to hear it. It's because you guys support us, and so we try to give back to you. So please, if you like Leprechaun, Lord of the Rings, or just like Now Playing, head to NowPlayingPodcast.com, click the banner at the top, and find out how to get these bonus reviews. And with that out of the way, let's get into Annabelle. So listeners, 
Look what you made me review! <laughs> yeah, and can we just get this... Uh, like, if anyone was clinging to what we saw last time as being a true story, can we just blow that lid off completely <laughs> now? They are completely manufacturing all of this. What we're watching today, the extension of The Conjuring about that doll that was in the case, not a true story. No, because I did read up about Annabelle, first of all. To reiterate, in case anyone didn't listen to our Conjuring show, it's a Raggedy Ann. <laughs> it's so scary! <laughs> oh my god, you never know where Andy is Andy around the corner? It's a twosome. I mean, terrifying, <laughs> right? Second of all, the only things known about Annabelle come from Ed and Lorraine Warren, and you can listen to our last show where we discuss how much we can trust their veracity. And then they came to encounter the doll when it was owned by some nurses, which happens at the very end of this. And then a medium comes in and says the doll was inhabited by a demon, and the Warrens took the doll and put it on display, and now you can pay 20 bucks and take a look at Raggedy Andy there. But nobody knows where the doll came from. It's just some psychic who said it was inhabited by Annabelle, the spirit of a seven-year-old girl. So anything we're seeing here, not only doesn't it jibe with that story, but there were no Gordon family. We don't know where the doll came from. There was no satanic cult murder. Anything we're going to talk about today, made up. I actually stayed for the credits to make sure. And yes, this is a work of fiction. And any confusion with people alive or dead is completely coincidental. Your standard movie disclaimer. Even worse, the screenwriter hasn't really worked that much before. The credits were not inspiring. He did a couple horror shorts, but this is more or less his feature debut. Well, what about the director? We have seen this director's work before. Not only was he James Wan's Insidious and Insidious Chapter 2 director of photography, but he's done dolls. DP for Child's Play 3. Oh, I didn't realize. As well as Joe Dirt. Uh, not his first directing job, but he did do a Mortal Kombat movie. He did the bad Mortal Kombat film I just want to put out there. There's a good one? <laughs> yeah. I would say what Marjorie said. Yes, that's a surprise. <laughs> Can't imagine that we need to do his whole filmography, Butterfly Effect 2. I didn't even see the first one. But they wanted some consistency. They knew James Wan was not coming back for Conjuring 2 or this, maybe for no horror movie ever again, if he gets his big break next year with Fast and the Furious 7. Which has its own curse. Exactly. It's turned into a horror shoot of its own. But they decided to go with his cinematographer, his DP, John Leonetti. That's probably pretty wise. He was there on the set of Conjuring. He should know how it looks and how it stages, and that's as much uh, consistency as we're going to get. Although, I guess it's the same doll. Yes, it is the same doll as last time. I think they redesigned it a little bit. It looked slightly different than what we just saw. Well, what we saw at the beginning, though, was her before she was beat to hell. True. Yeah. There's a fire later, and she's got, like, some smoky ash all over her face, and no one ever thought to get a wet wipe. <laughs> that bothered me so bad. <laughs> yeah, why would you give a dirty doll? It's bad enough that people would give that kind of doll to a child, but to give, like, a dirty doll, you didn't even know where it comes like, a secondhand store, you're gonna pay top dollar, and then, like, not wipe it down? Mm. Okay, Arnie, let's get into this. Uh, give them the plot. Real quick, did you take this as early 70s or late 60s? 
1967. It's 67. Okay. They said it was uh, a year before the events of the nurses, and that from The Conjuring said 1968. Okay, good. That was my thought, too, but uh, Wiki said 1970, so I didn't didn't feel like the 70s. It's the summer of love. It's 1967, and John and Mia Gordon are a happy, young, married couple. John is a med student about to graduate, and they're expecting their first child. The nursery is all made up, and John surprises Mia with a gift, a hard-to-find collectible doll to add to the immense collection showcased in the nursery. But that happiness is wrecked when Annabelle Higgins enters. Annabelle was the daughter of the Gordons' kindly old next-door neighbors, but she ran away two years earlier to join a cult. Now Annabelle is back, along with an unnamed man, come to kill her parents at a satanic sacrifice. When the Gordons hear the Higgins' screams, Annabelle and her beau break into the Gordons' house to kill them as well. The man stabs Mia in her very pregnant belly while John tries to fight the two off. The police arrive and shoot the man dead, but Annabelle runs into the nursery where she slits her own throat while holding Mia's newest doll. Mia and her unborn child are fine after the stabbing, but she's confined to bed rest. Yet strange things start to happen in the home. The sewing machine turns itself on in the night and the television reception is wonky. <laughs> Nothing a good repairman can't handle, but go on. I did say at the end of this, this movie was very frightening to electricians. <laughs> Finally, home alone, Mia is sewing and doesn't notice the stove has turned itself on and catches her home on fire. <laughs> and how do you not notice the smell of burning popcorn? Oh my god! It doesn't pop! It's called Easy Pop and it never makes a noise! She can't hear the kernels? How could she not smell it? Popcorn has to be one of the most odiferous scents in the entire world from the beginning when it starts to pop until it turns and you've burnt it. And when you oh burn it, god. oh my god. That, that never leaves. <laughs> well, no thanks to her olfactory senses, Mia escapes unharmed, but the stress induces her labor and she gives birth to young Leah. Mia doesn't want to return to the house, but she doesn't have to. John got a new job in Pasadena and a new apartment as well. Yet the doll Annabelle was holding, which John threw out at Mia's behest, somehow has been packed and moved with them. More strange things occur. Drapes billow. <laughs> <laughs> Mia starts to see strange young children. As soon she realizes the little girl she's seeing is Annabelle as a child. Talking to the police, Mia realizes that Annabelle and the man were killing people in order to perform a satanic ritual that would raise a demon. That demon is now in Mia's home and wants her soul. John and Mia consult their priest, Father Perez, who takes the doll back to the church, but before he can enter, the demon attacks, telekinetically throwing him and hospitalizing him. The doll then returns to Mia's house where it torments her, as well as the kind bookstore owner Evelyn, played by Alfre Woodard. The demon wants Mia to kill herself, giving him her soul, and Mia is ready to jump from their high window to save their daughter. John arrives in time to pull his wife from the window, but Evelyn realizes the demon will not be appeased, so she grabs the doll and leaps from the window. <clears throat> Dead on the ground, the doll disappears, and John and Mia's life seems to return to normal, completely unhaunted. And in a scene near the credits... We see the doll has made its way to a second-hand store where a woman buys it for her adult daughter, a nursing student. 
as credits roll. I just want to say that I think I have some ocular eye strain going on from the number of times I rolled my eyes at this movie. <laughs> well, at least you weren't wearing 3D glasses. I mean, that would have been one way to uh, like get a few extra money, but they didn't have time. I mean, we got to point out this was a rush job, right? Conjuring was only out, what, about 14 months ago? Yeah, and it was a huge hit in the summer, and they announced in November that they were making this, so this was 11 months from announcement to screens. Yeah, you can feel that. You can feel that in the script, you can feel this in this production, they just raced through it. There was not enough time, I think, spent on developing this as a standalone story. Not based on a true story, we've already pointed that out. I do think it was a good instinct to go with the Manson family. That is a true, frightening page from American history. 1967, he would have been gathering his whole family of, of women. This this would have been in the news. This would have been right before he became known as the leader of a psychotic cult. I thought that, yeah, a crazy cult, that's the way to go with this. I don't know how you get a doll involved, but as we start here in Santa Monica, California, 1967, and the neighbors are missing their daughter that ran away with hippies, yeah, I, I like where this is going. I'm right there with you, Stuart. I couldn't believe how much I was actually enjoying the setting. Just taking it back a few years from The Conjuring, but putting it in the 60s, I was liking the aesthetic, and I just liked that time period, the fact that they were bringing in on the news, they talk about Charles Manson and the Helter Skelter plot and all of that, and I didn't know what to expect coming in, but it's pretty quick into the movie that Annabelle and her boy come in and they are members of a cult. Her and boy? I don't know what to call him. He doesn't have a name. It's her boyfriend. <laughs> they wear tunics, so that we know that they're in cahoots together. But yeah, he never gets a name. He's got a beard. It's 1967. You know that he mean that means he's in a cult. And he's got a knife. I gotta say, my favorite scene in the movie, the way it's staged, the way it plays out, we have seen this rather generic couple, you know, Mia and John, go to church, walk home, they don't lock their front door, they're incredibly too wholesome, they lie down to go to bed, I'm surprised it wasn't separate beds, but <laughs> they, they lie down, and then we see through their window, the murder of their neighbors, it's really well staged. Yeah, I love that, and I'd actually got a jump out of me because you are watching through two windows and you don't hear much sound but you see the old neighbor couple the higgins the old man pete gets up and goes to investigate something and then of course there's the loud sound as the blood splatters the wall and a number of things occurred to me I, first i jumped which was always good it's always good to have a jump moment in a horror film second I'm like, damn, somebody died. One of my big complaints about the horror films we've been watching with Insidious and last week's Conjuring, nobody dies. Certainly not violently. No. There was the dog, and that was about it last time. But third, I seemingly prophetically said, I find horror more in home invasion than ghost stories. And here we had a home invasion. I did not know what the hell this had to do with a creepy doll, but this opening I'll just say right now, it's the high point of the movie. It's really well staged. I like the fact that you're not sure what's going on in the house, but it's real creepy because John and Mia go out to look and they leave their door open. Not a good idea when you hear a scream coming from next door. 
But you don't think that's what's going to happen. I mean, we know because we're the audience. Listen, if there's screams coming from next door, you lock the door after I leave. Especially if you're the one who's been telling me to lock the door all the time anyway. You don't leave it wide open just because you don't know what's going on. But honestly, her husband seems kind of simple. Yeah, they're not hippies. It's 1967. They're young, but they went the other path. They're the squares. He went to med school while everyone else took acid and, and had fun. So, yeah, he is... Yeah, naive, I think, is is the right word. He tells her, I'll be right back. Don't call the police. Don't call the police. You heard a scream. I mean, who does that? It is the 60s. Yeah. It underlines the fact that they have no idea that something this violent could happen in beautiful Santa Monica. And again, we are two years away from the Sharon Tate murders, which is what I think they're kind of basing this on. Sharon Tate was an actress who was pregnant with Roman Polanski's child and was butchered with knives by a cult. And that was a gruesome, gruesome murder. Very much so. Here, they kind of half do it. She goes in to call the ambulance because her husband's covered in blood. And I guess he's staying there to take care of them because he's a medical professional. I I don't quite know why, but... And I'd like to point out, in 1967, there was no 911. Yeah, I wondered that. And I meant to look that up because I remember getting a 911 in the 80s and it was a big deal. The first 911 call was placed in early 1968. It was certainly not a common thing, even in the late <laughs> 60s, to call 911. I didn't pick that up, but you're right. She does. She just takes that rotary, roop, roop, roop. Yeah, three tones. They're fast acting. The, the police get there awfully fast. I mean, she has barely had time to notice that Annabelle is in her nursery whispering, I like your dolls. And someone grabs her from behind, that nameless boyfriend. And the cops are there gunning them down. And I thought Annabelle there was a ghost. The way this came in, because John had bought Mia the doll as a gift, and it was Supposed to be kept for the baby. Yeah, part of her ugly doll collection. Can I just have a sidebar here and talk about why do people spend exorbitant amounts of money on hideous things like that? Like, it's the more ugly it is, it's more valuable. It's They didn't make this up for this movie. People collect this kind of crap. As I sit here looking at a <laughs> She-Hulk statue, Deadpool holding a chicken, a storm that looks like Grace Jones and Mad Max... <laughs> To your point, yes, I guess. People that live in Marvel houses shouldn't throw stones. <laughs> but uh, come on, those dolls really are. I, I associate them as the kind of dolls that old ladies collect to remind them of children uh, they don't have anymore. Absolutely hideous. I had a neighbor who had a doll collection when I was growing up. She had all the vintage Barbies, and then she had dolls like that. And mm-hmm. I hated going up into her attic, because that's where they all were. And they would just stare at you, and they have those weird glass eyes. And they're, they're just like that the edge of looking realistic, but then not like an exaggeration form of a child. My yeah. question is... Do we find these dolls creepy because horror movies have been made about them? Or have horror movies been made about them because they're so fucking creepy? Yes. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of both. I tend towards the latter. I do think that it's a doll for older people. When you're young, those aren't the dolls you want to play with. You want to take the wrapper off the new thing that just came off the toy shelf. The antiquated thing, ew. You can't even play with these. They're porcelain. They're fragile. Yeah. A kid right. can't knock it around. And carry it. Annabelle in this movie takes a beating. And I'm like, that's unrealistic. That thing would break. 
Yes. She gets a scratch on her eye, but otherwise, yeah, pretty resilient for a porcelain doll. Yeah, and when she opens that up, I mean, even if this wasn't a horror movie, the fact that that room was just dominated by these dolls is going to give their child a complex. Yeah, I love that they don't know the sex of their child. I'm like, really? I think the wife is betting on a girl there. <laughs> you better hope, otherwise... Yeah. I want to know where he was able to finally find that doll in the 60s. There was no eBay. He has his ways. In other words, the scriptwriter doesn't know either. <laughs> but he brings in this doll. I know what I'm coming to see. I'm coming to see a haunted doll movie. So when there's the home invasion and we see the guy, the bearded man through the windows, I don't know that there's two of them. So when I see a spectral figure clad in white with the long stringy hair kind of glide behind Mia, I'm like, Oh, shit, there's a home invasion and a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) No, I thought that maybe Annabelle, and it should be pointed out, the only Annabelle in this movie is a teenager or maybe a young 20-something in a tunic. That line they're selling you on the posters, that that doll is called Annabelle, is not true. There is no Annabelle. Well, here's the thing, though. We start the movie with a scene from... The first film, Conjuring, where the nursing students talk about how Annabelle was a seven-year-old and they allowed it to inhabit the doll and thus the doll was Annabelle. So was that completely made up? Is the doll, is the ghost or demon tricking them? Yes, that's how I take it is that the demon is tricking them and that's what the Warrens say because spirits can't inhabit things. And so the doll was known as Annabelle because they thought the spirit of a child is there. As this 20-something Annabelle kills herself, is the doll Annabelle? Is the doll the demon? Is the doll even cursed in this? Or is it that there's a demon that sometimes can't be seen and the demon is, like, puppeting the doll just off screen? There you go. That's exactly what it is. What you just said will probably be a big disappointment if you thought you were getting your Chucky reboot. This doll is not going to run around with knives. This doll is not going to be doing the evil. It occasionally will float or move from a rocking chair because there is an unseen demon moving it around. And that is the situation. I think that this isn't much better than Brad Dorff getting gunned down in a toy store and saying some voodoo. But yeah, because Annabelle is gunned down and bleeds into the eyes of the doll, and because she was an occultist, we're supposed to just understand that somehow they were conjuring a demon that is now stuck to this Gordon couple like gum. Is it stuck to the Gordon couple or is it stuck to the doll because she was holding the doll when she slit her own throat? I think that the doll is the vehicle for the demon. Yeah, you said Chucky. Man, was I waiting for it. I mean, I waited for that doll to move this whole movie. And I later read some stuff with the makers of this. And they said that's specifically what they don't want. A couple of times I'm like fooling myself. Are Annabelle's eyes moving ever so slightly? (laughs) Is it just so subtle that I'm thinking I'm seeing it? They do not want the doll to ever move. You never see the doll move on screen other than it floats when a demon is holding it. But did it float or I thought he picked up the doll. He did. Okay. But there was one scene where you see it just floating. You don't see the demon holding it, but we find out that's what it is. This is not a killer doll. This is not the doll 
even from The Conjuring, because in The Conjuring, Annabelle was out to get that little girl. Yeah, I would think that this would piss off everybody. The, you'll see more of the doll in the trailers for this, the commercials, the poster, than you ever will in this film. We were told that that evil doll was so bad they had to lock it in a case, and now we find out that most of this is going to be about a sewing machine and Jiffy Pop. Yeah, you you stole my <laughs> joke, because I was going to say, if this is a movie named after the inanimate object featured most, I think we have to call it Singer. <laughs> You know, and I do love this. I do think they got this these details right in the last movie and here. Part of the fun of having a retro horror movie is seeing a different era's technology. Of Yeah, what does a woman do on a Friday night? Let's do some sewing. You know, that's great. And we'll watch some laughing on a black and white TV. She sews a lot. She is constantly sewing. I do not understand if she was running a seamstress business on the side. You see that weird, like, spitting mannequin in the background? Okay, this is what women did back then, though. Women sewed their own clothes. You sewed your baby's clothes. You made all the bedding for the baby. She didn't work. Traditional 60s housewife. She was pregnant. Nothing else to do. You sew. You sew. You knit. You, you craft. This, this is very typical of a woman in the 60s. Yeah, for uh, that kind of woman, yes. the non-hippie, the non-rebellious youth, she is very conservative here. They go to church, they're, yeah, they are the portrait of wholesome couple. It's so weird because the doctors, she's fine from the knife wound. I think that's kind of a cheat. I think that something should have resulted from that. I thought they were going to kill the baby. I mean, this guy stabs her in the stomach. I thought she would miscarry. I yeah. thought it would really go dark there. No, she is stabbed in the stomach with a big knife. And she, her placenta, her fetus, all fine. Yeah, th she's told she's going to have to do some bed rest, which looks no different from her ordinary life, I just want to point out. Yeah, she was sitting up and sewing and walking around the house. I thought bed rest <laughs> means y you lay in bed, except if you have to pee or shower. Yeah, that's what the yeah. doctor told her, is if you get up and move around, you're putting yourself and your baby in danger. She uh instantly not a good mother. She's like, yeah, I don't really care. I'm going to go watch some TV. I'm going to sew. I'm going to... Just wander around and have conversations with people, talk to the police. She needed to stay in bed more with that cervix issue she had. That needed to result in something. Otherwise, why stab her? I, I, and I felt like this movie pulls its punches a lot. They'll put characters in danger. You think it's going to get really bad. And then you find out, oh, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, this film does seem to go to certain places and then pull back. And I don't know why necessarily it does that. It's a very strange thing. Why even put her on bed rest? I mean, is it so she can't leave the house? She doesn't seem to leave the house much anyway, even after giving birth. She's pretty much a homebody. That's exactly right. The things that are going to terrorize her, the, the manifestation stage is essentially, yeah, her sewing machine comes on, the doll in the rocking chair. That's the only thing Annabelle does is she rocks in a rocking chair. You know, the popcorn starts a fire. The TV reception's bad. This is rather banal stuff. And it's, it's a large portion of the first half of the movie. I felt like the first Child's Play film, if you want to see that first half hour, where Andy is playing with Chucky and small little things are happening that pretend the danger to come. If you want to see that first act stretched out for 99 minutes, you got Annabelle. 
Yeah. The difference is, in Child's Play, I knew what inhabited the doll, and I kind of knew what he wanted. He wanted to get back at the gang that betrayed him. He wanted to go kill people. What is inside Annabelle is what I presume to be the remnants of an occultist. And we're teased, we're told by a cop that they were Satanists that are part of this whole Disciples of the Ram. I don't know if they're related to Disciples of the Crow and the (laughs) Children of the Corn kids, but okay. So I think at some point, Mia is going to get the gumption to leave that house and go find this cult and and deal with that cult leader. No, we will never meet any other members of this cult. Yeah, now that you mention it, you'd think that the cult would come to worship the demon which was raised by their members. Yeah, exactly. They went so far as to break into a house and kill people. They obviously saw some importance in conjuring this demon. No, we're, we've got other things to do. I will say this, though. I think they retconned one of our complaints about the conjuring because we weren't sure if dead people inhabited and possessed things or people and all of that. The way they have Annabelle kill herself by slitting her own throat now tells me last week it wasn't actually the spirit of Bathsheba that was doing all the bullshit. It was a demon that Bathsheba raised in her own satanic witch ritual where she killed herself and her child. Yeah, and I will give my other compliment to this movie is the demon itself. When we finally see it, I think it does look scary. I think it's a comparative to that lipstick-faced demon from Insidious. It doesn't do much more than that lipstick-faced demon either. But when we see it hanging upside down on the ceiling or, you know, it, it leaves a mark on her arm. At some point, I saw a text that called it Bilal or, or something with a B. I'm not quite sure. There probably is a historical folklore story story connected to this demon that they'll probably want to tease out for eight more films. But I'm intrigued by this central villain. I do think it's interesting. I don't think we get enough time with it, but I'm grateful for every scene that it's in. He was a lot scarier looking than the lipstick demon. And I was really excited, maybe thought it would get really scary at this point once he showed up, because up until that point, I was really bored. And I mean, it was just Stuff elicited to get a jump, and it was all stuff we saw before, because they used a lot of the same scares that we had in The Conjuring. It's like very cookie cutter. So when he showed up, I was like, oh, okay, maybe something's going to happen. Nope. He was kind of pushed back aside. He made, like, what, three total appearances in the storage area. I guess he was on the stairs, if you count that. Yeah, the stairs was the one that literally my audience made a reaction. Everyone was like, oh. See, our audience had a reaction, too. Honestly, it was laughter. Yes. It was a packed theater. This is done very well this weekend. And the audience burst out laughing. And I'm kind of with them because he was kind of vamping. For some reason, I got a Ben Vereen performance off of him with his body language and everything. It was reminding me of Ben Vereen and Pippin. <laughs> wow. Really? Yeah. It was. I didn't see that. He moved like a dancer and he had a spooky hand but i do wish he did more it's a pretty good look i also thought a little bit of the horned demon from legend the tim curry one only covered in oil because it's jet black head to toe one of my favorite makeup jobs by the way love tim curry's look in legend yeah i wish i got a good enough look at this demon to say if i liked it as well because you catch it in glimpses and in the background you never get a very good look at him he's The big bad, but you never get that showdown at the end. He's almost always invisible. So 
the fact that we get even the glimpses we do kind of pissed me off. Either keep him invisible like you did with the Conjuring, where you never really see your attacker, or show him full on. But this kind of just, it seemed like it was leading to something it never went to. Yeah, let's talk about where it goes to, because at some point, I think she's just had the baby in the hospital after the Jiffy Pop fire. (laughs) (laughs) Did you guys notice who the nurse was that was holding the new baby Leah? It was one of the nurses at the beginning of the movie that goes to Ed and Lorraine Warren about that doll. Huh? Those nurses were nursing students, and they were on the East Coast. This is Pasadena. That so you're correct. telling me she was an unlicensed nurse that decided to finally get her license and a year later go and take the doll with her? I mean, whatever. Yeah, I think it's going to have these loose purse strings to tie up here. Yeah, and in, in trying to tie it all together, they're just exposing that they're making it up as they go along and it's not really connected at all. Pretty much, yeah. And the husband is like, I have a new job in Pasadena. Let's move to an apartment, which I think is a strange transition. Yes, you said this before the plot summary, but they threw out the doll. It went in the garbage. It comes back. It's freaking dirty. Now, maybe I'm used to being in the 21st century with the super moms where a single germ is enough to give your baby Ebola, but... When they take that dirty doll and put it in that clean nursery, even I'm like, that baby's going to get sick off something. <laughs> it was in the trash. I mean, you, you, anything that falls in the trash, you don't eat out of the trash, right? You don't, like, pick through it without gloves. I mean, yeah. Presuming that she's had a change of heart and she now loves this doll that was covered in the blood of an occultist, you'd at least want to make sure that it was clean. Why wasn't it taken as evidence? She was holding it. That would be mired down in paperwork for months. And I'm thinking about the blood stains. I know that they had like a nice cleaning service in to clean everything twice, but that the doll looks brand new. There's not even a little pink. That dress is whiter than white. And there would be something there. But that they just take this mangy doll and put it up there. That seems like a bad omen. I, I think, yeah, the doll should go back in the garbage. I actually thought the demon was working his powers on her and hypnotizing her into keeping it around or something. I thought she couldn't be doing that of her own free will. She's not that dumb. Well, maybe she felt bad because her husband spent a lot of money on that doll. And she said, I don't want this thing in the house anymore. She should feel bad that he had to buy a new house. (laughs) That's true. But we'll move into an apartment. I think they moved to an apartment largely because it looks like the space that Mia Farrow is in. Yes. In Rosemary's Baby. The fact that this character is named Mia, I'm totally getting a Polanski vibe for the second half. They did a lot with the Rosemary's Baby theme. I mean, right down to the pram that she pushes, which, yes, was in style at the time. The fact that they're in an apartment, she's going kind of mad. It, but it felt when we got to this point that they just kind of got misguided. In a, I felt like maybe there's more on the cutting room floor that would have made maybe given it more oomph because it seemed like it was just very scattered at this point when we get here. Yeah, I at times really felt like we were watching almost a remake of Rosemary's Baby. And spoiler alert in case we ever review it, I didn't really care for Rosemary's Baby the first time oh. around. Well, I like it, and I, yeah, I was not encouraged that they were following it so closely, but not closely enough. I mean, part of the fun of Rosemary's Baby is you find out that there's human conspirators living in that apartment building with Mia Farrow. That has me very suspicious about the supporting characters. I'm wondering about John, you know, the husband. He's awfully okay with it when she's like, I'm being attacked by a demon, and he's like, okay, let's go see my priest. I mean, I'm wondering, is the priest in it? Father Perez, we've had a lot of scenes 
scenes of him taking pictures of her and the baby. I expected a ghost to be in that photo. Okay, right. Yeah, so that wasn't just me. I expected him to develop that photo, like, at some point in the middle of the movie and go, oh my god, I must call Mia and John. Yeah, that's where I thought that was going. Mm -hmm. I never suspected John, just because the guy doesn't appear to be a very good actor. (laughs) I never got too into him. The person who I didn't trust at all was Alfre Woodard as Evelyn, the bookstore owner. Why would you? Yeah. She's got a book called The Seven Devils in the front window. (laughs) I think she's running an occult bookstore. Yes. She's probably part of this whole disciple of the Ram cult. Yes. No, I thought she was going to help and like help Mia get on the right path to exercise this demon and help her get this all aligned and get this out of their house and Mia would have this big crisis of faith instead of, you know, the priest isn't really doing much except giving platitudes. They're thumb wrestling during his sermon. Yes. He is not a good priest. Exactly. So I really thought that Evelyn was going to be the key to solving all this and eradicating the demon and everything. And I don't even know why she was in the movie except at the end to provide the soul. Yes. You could go one of two different ways and they chose to go neither. Yes, she's either a force of goodness that is going to show them the way out from their predicament, or she's Ruth Gordon in Rosemary's Baby, and she's the nice old lady who we think is sweet, and then we find out she's conspiring with Satan. And I tended to think from the early scenes, just because every time we saw her, she would come up smiling to them and being like, I feel like I've known you forever. I mean, she's kind of stalkery, the way that she's obsessing over Mia and this baby. And the whole reason we find out that she's like that is because she and her grown daughter were in a car accident where she fell asleep and feels guilty. I mean, that is not satisfying. And I really thought she'd be more like the Tangina of the movie and do more. And that's why she was feeling the connection. I never thought she was up to anything nefarious. I just thought there was like this psychic like connection, like with Tangina and perhaps again, Poltergeist ruined me for all their movies. That was my plan B. She was definitely the magical African-American person there. Yeah. The question was, was she a force for good or a force for evil? And when you've got a book called Seven Devils in the front window, I'm thinking you're a force for evil. When they first meet, she's acting all strange. She gives Mia a book. We never find out what book this is. I expect her to go home and find out like it's a book about dismemberment or sacrifice or rituals. Or is it the ugly duckling or Dr. Seuss? We never know. So the more time she spends with Evelyn, the more I just think Evelyn is an insidious presence in their life until we see the scars on Evelyn's wrist. And then we realize Evelyn's had a tragic life. She tried to kill herself because while driving drowsy, she (laughs) killed her daughter. Yeah, she was in a coma for three weeks and woke up and her daughter was dead because she fell asleep behind the wheel. And now she's obsessed with any woman that has a baby is basically the what we're supposed to take it. Oh, a baby has moved in. This is my chance to reconnect with Ruth and I'm going to buy it clothes and give it free books. And yeah, basically be a weird stalker. I thought she would be a stalker, but not for these reasons. And it's it's a bizarre reason to use Alfre Woodard. She's a good actress you could have done a lot with her but this character is foolish and incidental yeah she doesn't do enough i also thought that evelyn might just be the friend i mean it's very convenient at one point john says he's working nights and so that mia can have things happen at night while john's not there but then things start happening to mia during the day when john's not there whatever hours the demon wants to inhabit seems to be john's working schedule 
Yeah, I agree. It's whenever he's not around. It basically, it's almost like it's framing her so that she looks crazy to him and he'll discount her. He wants to write it off as postpartum depression. He's the medical expert. She's just a stay-at-home wife. He knows more than her. So I think that is going to result in something. And something that they have a discussion about early, I really think is going to matter. She says that if push comes to shove, before I have this baby, you're going to save the baby's life over my own, right? So I think that that's going to be his choice to make in the story. He's largely in the background, a disbeliever, but at some point, he's going to have to choose between Leah and Mia. And actually, that never transpired. I think that that line was there to show that Mia would sacrifice herself to save her baby's life. And that is the choice that comes up at the end. It's just setting up, even before she's given birth, she has that level of love for her child. One big shock that this movie does in the second half, there aren't many, but one that took my breath away for half a second until I realized they weren't going to follow through on it like so many others, is that, you know, she keeps wondering, and I keep wondering, what does this demon want? And she finally asks the doll, and the doll gets its red crayon and draws all over the ceiling. Don't know how it got up there. I guess it floated. It was held up by a tall demon. There you go. Your soul. It wants your soul. No, it says her soul. Her soul. It wants the baby's soul. And then at the very end, it writes on the window, your soul. So, like, we want the babies, but we'll take, you know, it's like a car dealership. It's negotiating. <laughs> so it, want, it wanted the baby's soul, but was willing to take the mom's soul as a booby prize? Yeah. It just wants a soul. But why does it want a soul? Going back to the conjuring, <laughs> I would take it as... If you were taking a soul, that meant the demon was inhabiting your body. The demon wanted to be in a human is what was set up in the prologue of The Conjuring and reset up here. Those stupid nurses gave the demon permission to inhabit the doll. So it had just been puppeting the doll until the nurses went, yes, go ahead and go in the doll. <laughs> but it, that was like... That was like an apartment before you buy a house for this demon in Annabelle. Yeah. It wants to be in a human. So when it says it wants a soul, I think it wants to possess a human. And it winds up in a doll. Boy, it really sold itself short, didn't it? <laughs> but, but no, what it wants is Mia to kill herself. So is he collecting souls the way Mia collects dolls? He's just putting <laughs> the souls up on shelves? What is going on with... And then I'm thinking, okay, so the person's soul is trapped in hell or demon realm forever, but it's all very confusing what this demon really wants. If it was wanting what we saw last time, if it was wanting to possess and to take control and then maybe to use that human vessel for murder, I would get it. I thought that's what we were going to get. That's what I was getting to. My favorite shock is that, you know, it, it, she goes into the nursery. Annabelle is laid out in the crib. She picks it up. She beats the thing. And then all of a sudden she realizes, oh, my God, that wasn't the doll. I was tricked. I just beat my baby dead. I was like, ooh, I can't believe they did that. Yeah, I had the same reaction. I don't know if I would have recommended the movie at that point if they had. But it was a stunner. Guys, they're not going to kill a baby like that. Come on. Well, I didn't think so either. And then she's holding the baby and it's not moving. And I'm like, wow, that is for a movie that has played it pretty damn safe. The milk just got tainted. <laughs> I mean, this is uh, really dark for half a second. And then, of course, somebody got scared. Either they rewrote it or they never intended to go that path. But now she finds out she's just holding a doll that laughs at her. But you guys. 
the priest said that demons are manipulators. I knew this wasn't going to happen. One, they really don't kill babies in movies. Two... Especially a movie this safe. Yes. And and two, you're dealing with a demon who is a manipulator, which is why he was doing all this. So why would the baby actually be dead if the demon is manipulator? Well... This is where I thought the movie honestly should go. I realize we're watching a ghost movie, and I think this movie's actually harmed by being a spin-off slash prequel to The Conjuring, but I actually think this movie would have been completely better if it was standalone, and there really was a chance that Mia was just fucking crazy. If we went a little bit more Rosemary's Baby, if the husband wasn't such a good guy who sided with her every way, if we didn't know we were watching a ghost story, and... We could be watching one of those movies so prevalent in the 90s where Mia herself is walking around with a crayon writing her soul on the ceiling. And the only person who sees anything happen for most of this movie is Mia. And so part of me wondered, could this all be in her head? And if you built that up where she was going crazy, then you could even go to the point that she would kill the baby. I mean, it's a much darker movie, probably not as commercial a movie as they were trying to make, but it would have been a better film. I look at it this way. If it's a Conjuring sequel and last time we saw Lily Taylor get possessed and try to stab her daughters, I believe that, yeah, this woman is being goaded to do the same thing by this demon to her own infant and that that's what it wanted. Because I don't really understand what it is or what it wanted and they never introduced the cult that conjured it. All I'm left with is the vague memories of last week and thinking that, okay, if you can make that woman kill her own baby, then she has given the devil a win. That said, we're talking a lot about the plot. As far as the film itself and the pacing, I think there were a couple of good scares here. The best scare in the movie is the one you talked about, Stuart. The second best during the haunting period is already in the trailer. When you see little baby Annabelle, or you see little girl Annabelle, and then she starts running at Mia and turns into adult crazy Annabelle. Why do they do that, though? I get that that's a jump scare, like you were expecting the child to go through the closing door and it ends up being the occultist, but she was never a occultist when she was a little girl. Maybe to play with Mia's mind to make her think, oh my god, there's that little girl who looks like the little girl on the stairs. The devil should try that. He should, like, come in as a cute little ram and they could, like, pet it and all. And then be like, ah, I'm an evil. Perhaps he should get in touch with his PR people and let them know that. <laughs> I just think that it was the demon using the vessel of the woman who sacrificed herself to bring him to being. But there are a couple good scares. Honestly, one of the drape explosions kind of scared me a little bit. And they... Bring back, this really is a sequel or in the Conjuring series, because at one point Mia's crawling on the ground and they do the ankle pull trick again, too. All of those jumps, except for the clapping from that last movie, they're given a reprise here, just like a little callback to that first movie. And a couple of them did have me jump. But dear Lord, is it a lot of, I won't even say suspense in between. It's just day in the life. There's... I'm walking down the street pushing a baby carriage. I'm walking up the stairs looking at crayon drawings. I'm sewing. I'm sewing some more. I'm watching Laugh-In. I'm sewing some more. But the crayon drawings were supposed to be, you know, like a prophetizing or foreshadowing of what was going to happen, which we ended up seeing the baby carriage getting hit by a truck, but she had Leah 
baby born to her or whatever. Which pissed me off because the crayon drawings, they were drawn by little girl Annabelle, the ghost again. And that's not Annabelle, by the way. It's a different actress and a different little boy that never come into play again. So that wasn't Annabelle? Correct. Yeah, they just dropped that and it never came back. Those kids would have been great as like the harbinger of doom or something. You know, this little girl and her snippy little brother could help with the foreshadowing and, you know, brought some eeriness to it or some creepiness. Nope, they were drawing on the stairs and never saw them again. Look, they wanted to do Rosemary's Baby full on and then someone realized they get sued. It was plagiarism. They have all this background about Will advancing in his job and getting a job in Pasadena and moving into this place. It was supposed to be the Ram cult, right? These kids were the children of the Ram's cult. Like, they were manipulating everything and puppeting this couple into their control. And then someone realized that's identical to Rosemary's Baby, and we just have to make all these characters visions or kindly neighbors. We can't have them conspiring. Which is a mistake. Just downright a mistake. There needed to be more reason behind it, I think. We just needed to know what it was this demon wanted. And I figured this movie would end, as they seem to do, with a exorcism. Oh, I was terrified of that. When they call the priest and they realize that the doll is possessed, I literally think it's going to be the climax of the last movie, the thing that was ruinous to the last movie, only it's going to be with a doll. Like, that's the only way to make that worse, that instead of Lily Taylor, we're getting that doll screeching and floating around. (laughs) But... This movie did something again, which it had done like this whole time, is it started to go like into a final destination mode. Because we had that a lot at the beginning when she was sewing, you thought she'd sew her finger. and She, she finally did. She finally did, yes. Well, she's sewing recklessly. <laughs> it took a while. Yeah. You don't sew while watching TV. Oh, God, no. You look at where the needle is so you don't sew your finger. Then John puts the popcorn on the stove and you think that's going to be it. Now, later it does happen, but not at that moment. And then here we have the priest. He puts the doll in the passenger seat. And then he thinks, oh, crap, I don't want to do that. Throws her in the back seat. And I am thinking child's play because the exact same thing happened to Chris Sarandon, the cop in child's play. He throws Chucky in the back seat. You don't fuck with the Chuck. Next thing you know, he's strangling him while he's driving. No, here... Annabelle kind of breaks the car radio. Yeah, so it was like this whole line of Final Destination moments that were building up and building up, and then they end up being completely unfulfilling. Again, I I mean, I don't know why in the 60s the demon is so obsessed with screwing with technology. Perez is, I think, going to be the character that's going to confront the demon head on, that will finally get that one-on-one fight albeit with a doll in the middle of the ring as referee. But yeah, (laughs) he actually ends up doing very little either. He's like, I'll take the doll to a holy place, which got laughter in my theater. Like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. I'm sure that that doll is going to just walk into church with you. And of course, as he finally gets to the doorway into his church, he's blown back, smashed on the pavement, I presume dead. But then he spends a few more scenes with John in the ER. I thought he was dead too. I was shocked and I'm thinking... Hey, if the demon can do this, why doesn't he do it more? If the demon can just, like, telekinetically kill, that's a good way to get some souls, right? (laughs) Although a soul must be given, they said. It's in all these rules. I'm glad I'm not a demon. They have to have a little primer before they decide to haunt and or terrorize somebody. Okay, I can do this. Guys, you can't. Go ahead and just smack them around. You've got to do subtle scares first. I really think the bylaws of being a demon make the Obamacare 
laws look svelte. <laughs> and of course, John's at the hospital. He's always at the hospital, right? He's just hanging out there and he has nothing to do. He's not a very good doctor, I don't think, because he's sit- sitting vigil by the priest. He never thinks to check on his wife, I don't believe. He sees the priest who took the doll, just sits there. At, waiting to ask what happened to the doll, never picks up the phone. Hey, Mia, by the way, our priest is fucked up. Yeah, you know, they, she, they have a subplot in which she's always watching General Hospital, and he's like, I hope you don't get addicted to soaps. He comes from soaps. This actor is actually a soap opera actor, and I, I feel like, yeah, he's sort of in that mode here. He's playing the soap doctor, right? He's just got to look handsome and, and concerned at the bedside of somebody. It's not a very interesting part, and it, it doesn't have a lot of depth. The surprise is that he doesn't, the character doesn't have a turn here. I thought he'd come back evil, or I thought that he'd come back and save his wife, but he just kind of comes back to watch Evelyn kind of do it all. And this pissed me off. Why is it considered a happy ending that the black business owner goes out the window and smashes on the ground, but it would be so terrible if the stay-at-home wife were to do the same thing? Oh, but Stuart, the stay-at-home wife is still a mom, and that's all that matters. Remember, the priest (laughs) says that mothers are closest to God. Oh my God. (laughs) Plus, she was already suicidal, so no great loss, right? Yeah, you know what? Women and children first, like, really, like, the lifeboats are leaving, but you're going to not let this woman get on. I just think that the husband, right? The husband should go, right? That He was the one that had to make the choice. He, he hasn't done anything this whole movie. Uh, the fact that they just dispense with Evelyn the way that they do, I don't know. I find it offensive, really. Well, she says that when she tried to kill herself, the spirit of her daughter came and said it's not her time. I'd be pissed if it was the husband, too, because the husband hasn't done anything the whole movie. If he had to fly out the window in order to save his wife and child, it would have been better if it was set up like, no, I would choose your life over the baby. And then he makes a turn and decides to become self-sacrificial for his child. Yeah, it's like that wasn't even on the table. Yeah, let's actually be clear. Anyone jumping out the window with that doll is a bad ending here. (laughs) We want them to fight the evil, not concede to the evil. The fact that somebody gets elected to give their soul up and burn forever. I don't know why this bookstore owner feels like that's her destiny or why her dead daughter in heaven would want her to burn in hell. But it's a terrible ending and they should have had a better one. Is she burning in hell? Because while we see Evelyn's broken, bleeding body on the pavement, we get a voiceover from Father Perez about how the Lord embraces those who sacrifice themselves. So it's like, on the one hand, it's a suicide, uh, which is an unforgivable sin. On the other hand, you're doing it for a demon who says he wants your soul, and I guess any soul will do. (laughs) But third, I don't know what he wants with the soul, and fourth, I'd like to think that since she killed herself in order to save a family, maybe God would be like at least willing to take that up on appeal. <laughs> well, they had to leave it open so there could be a sequel. That is the point here, because they jump six months ahead, and Annabelle is gone. Annabelle the doll and Annabelle the occultist ghost girl, all gone from their lives. But somehow we get from West Coast to East Coast secondhand shop so that some nurses in Connecticut wind up with the doll. That's six months of sequels, guys. We could have an Annabelle two, three, four. She's got to make her way cross country. One in every state I could see happening. Hey, that was my favorite Chucky movie is when Chucky had to do that. 
<laughs> yeah. I got some problems with this. Because the doll disappears while Evelyn is laying there dying or dead already. So are we supposed to understand maybe that this doll didn't travel cross country? That it crawled its way or a demon picked it up under its arm and it floated to a nearby secondhand shop where the proprietor of the shop didn't know that they didn't have that doll for sale? This demon is big on recycling for extra cash. That's what's going on. (laughs) Even if we want to help it along and say that the mother bought it for a daughter who is studying to be a nurse way across the country. Two more sequels, I'm guessing, and you'll know. And with the box office it made, we'll get them, too. (laughs) Yeah, it's shameful. Yeah, the demon wanted our soul. We did a bonus retrospective that will eat it. Yeah, I agree. We got so many sequels coming. I couldn't feel more guilty if I were covered in goat's blood right now with pentagrams all over my face. We have played into the evil's plan. We have gave them uh, patronage to this film. I I feel that we did do the work of the devil by paying to see this movie. I feel like I should have bought a ticket for Gone Girl and then snuck into Annabelle. So Marjorie Stewart, do you recommend Annabelle? Here's the thing. It wasn't scary. If you were going in expecting... To be scared out of your wits, to get some good jumps, and to like maybe have to sleep with the lights on or peek around every corner. This movie is not for you. It is not scary. I spent most of the time sighing loudly and rolling my eyes because nothing was happening. I was bored. If I had been in a crowded movie theater, I would have had my phone out playing games. Because it was that dull. It was just nothing happened. And maybe because I'm not Catholic, I don't find demons all that scary. Are they scary to Catholics? Are they scary to an older generation? I don't get it. I don't find them scary. I I thought he was less comical than the lipstick demon in Insidious. So that's good. And less amusing than the drag queen demons that were in the basement also. I would have liked them to come and spice things up. But yeah, this is a big not recommend. I just don't think it lived up to all the hype and scariness. And I was really hoping for something great for Halloween to make me, you know, want to turn the lights on every time I walked around at night. This is not it. Give me a homicidal axe-wielding maniac any day over this. Stuart. Uh, There's a line that Father Perez says near the end that really sums it up for me. You cannot destroy what was never created. And uh, that's how I feel about this. I can't tear it apart. It is a weak movie, but I can't go ballistic on it because they didn't even bother trying. I mean, other than a few jump scares, uh, this is just a watered-down version of Rosemary's Baby, which had already happened, by the way. They had a remake recently on television. Uh, We didn't need another watered-down version of Rosemary's Baby here. This is a very forgettable movie. I think that if you like The Conjuring, you will probably be very disappointed that the doll plays so little importance to this story. I think that, yeah, we would have been better served just by getting to a Conjuring 2 or Insidious 3 than having these spinoffs. This was done for money. It was done in a rush. And it shows. So I will say this. There are one or two good jump moments. And overall, it has a more consistent tone than The Conjuring, which is to say that it doesn't have high highs like The Conjuring did in the beginning or the low lows that The Conjuring did at its end. It's just kind of a flat line all the way through. And so uh, a not recommend, not a strong not recommend, but definitely skippable. We'll see if they can get better with Conjuring 2, but skip this one. I disagree with both of you. Stuart, I think this movie does have high highs. I think it has a higher high than anything in The Conjuring. That opening kill of the Higgins. 
that really set a high bar there. I watched the first half hour of this movie and thought this could actually be a really, really good horror film. And I disagree with you, Marjorie. I think demons could be scary. I think that the movies we're watching, James Wan's Insidious and Conjuring, and then this, which is in the spirit of James Wan, is not a way to make demons frightening. Anything can be scary. I used to think ghosts weren't scary, and then I saw The Ring. Washing machines. <laughs> well, <laughs> Stephen King has challenged your notion that anything can be a horror story. <laughs> that is true. He will but... take you up to task, really. Well, a washing machine that you pour some nightshade into, okay, I'll take that one. <laughs> but, no, any common trope, demons, ghosts, vampires, zombies, I didn't think zombies were scary till 28 days later, you know, it takes the right filmmaker with the right vision, and anything can be scary. So it's nothing about demons, and I don't think you need to be Catholic. I just think that here we have a filmmaker who's like, yeah, let's do what The Conjuring did again, and take a little bit of Insidious with it. I mean, Conjuring's primarily an Insidious film as it was. There's a lot of Rosemary's Baby in here, including a lot of the tedium that I found with Rosemary's Baby. Now, I agree, Stuart. Rosemary's Baby is actually better than this, because Thank God. it has that conspiracy theory. There are creepy scenes in Rosemary's Baby that stick with me, even though I haven't seen the film in over 20 years, like when that satanic husband is atop her and she wakes up in the middle of it. I mean, there's some real creepiness to Rosemary's Baby that is lacking here. But no, I think this film started with a high high, and then it just became one of the longest, dullest film experiences of my life. I think there's 10 minutes of great movie in here. There are like three jump scares after the opening, and then there's that opening. There, There's 10 minutes in here worth watching, and then there's 89 minutes that feels like 189 minutes. I mean, seriously, I have not checked my watch during a movie in years, but I'm like, how long is this? Is this Wolf of Wall Street length? Oh my God, I've only been watching for an hour 10? It just felt endless. So... I'm going to give this a strong not recommend. This one, there's, watch the opening on YouTube. I, part of the clip is already out there officially. And then, no, go and watch some better films. I just think that if lights flickering and televisions losing their reception is scary, this is the film for you. Actually, paranormal activity is, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's stealing from that too. There's nothing original here. My final thought on this is, when we were watching the trailers before this movie, I'm like, you know, at least thank God we decided not to do that Ouija board movie. And I'm like, you can't, the Ouija board movie can't be any worse than this. <laughs> it's not that bad. If it has 10 great minutes, that's 10 great minutes more than a lot of horror movies we've watched. Yeah, but the Ouija board movie might have 11 okay minutes. <laughs> it might. I, I hope to never know. <laughs> Me too, but it's a strong not recommend. Man, is it Christmas yet? Because these movies have soured me on Halloween. <laughs> I agree. It's not been a strong year for horror. I, I keep waiting to have what is going to be the breakaway horror sensation. I don't think we had one this year. I think it's going to be Annabelle based on the box office. Mm, that's not. That's just riding the coattails of Conjuring. The only thing that's going to get me into a Halloween spirit, believe it or not, is and the most exciting thing I saw in theaters last night 
Saw is coming back to the big screens for Halloween. I'm going to go see that and try to purge this movie. Let's cleanse the palate because that movie had suspense, had scary moments. It was full of blood and gore. You can hear our review in the archives. But we're committed. We're Now we got, what, Conjuring 2 next October. That'll be the sequel with the Warrens. They're going to bring back the couple, and they're going to do the Enfield case. That was uh, 1977. That's all that I really know about uh, what we're going to be getting next. You guys hopeful that they can turn this around? I mean, you haven't liked Insidious. You haven't liked Conjuring. Uh, we didn't like Annabelle. Arnie, Eternal Optimist, do you think uh, Conjuring 2 can make a good film out of it? No. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! I'm so glad that you can see the forest for the trees here. I'm just going to ask our listeners, if you really want us to continue red arrowing these movies, let us know, (laughs) and we will do it. Otherwise, I'm more than happy to shove this in a drawer with the Philip K. Dick series and just let it die. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's for debate. You know, we are completists. I think that is how we have been classified, and, and people celebrate that we're willing to go dark trains, but we've challenged that notion. We did nine Children of the Corn movies recently and uh, I just feel like some people are telling us now you don't have to cover everything. You've heard our thoughts on Conjuring and Annabelle. Chances are we're going to have those similar thoughts when we get to all the other spinoffs and sequels. If you want us to keep doing it, uh, let us know. And if you don't want us to keep doing it, definitely let us know. Yeah, I'd I'd like to know if you don't want us to because I don't want us to. (laughs) I feel like Stuart did probably around Children of the Corn 3 right now, where I'm like, there's six more of these. But we'll see. I mean, honestly, maybe a year from now, I'll have a different feeling. Maybe the trailers will look good. I never even thought the trailers for Annabelle looked good. But I, I never saw any of the trailers. I only saw the poster, which had her crying blood. And I'm like, okay, maybe this is going to be good. The posters for Annabelle were scarier than anything in Annabelle the movie. Well, they had the doll in it. Yeah, exactly. and. Maybe a year from now when we start seeing what the Warren's case is and I start reading the real life accounts, maybe it could be good because I'm not soured on haunted house movies. Next year also has the reboot of Poltergeist and Poltergeist is still one of my all time favorite ghost movies. It will be interesting to get to that one considering, yeah, we've seen so many emulations of Poltergeist. What's it going to be like to have an official remake? And they got some good actors in that, too. Sam Rockwell's in it. I think that's a great choice. Yeah, I'm hopeful that they go back to Poltergeist when making this and that they don't look at Conjuring and Paranormal Activity and say, let's make that movie and call it Poltergeist. But I'm optimistic for that. And I think maybe with a new creative vision. Right now we have James Wan's Disciple. I don't even know if a creative team for Conjuring 2 has been announced. They haven't even announced that it's going to be called Conjuring 2 even. It may have a different title. I I could see it be like the Conjuring colon something subtitle. But maybe my optimism will come back. But right now, I just need to get out the ghost. And man, just watch some better movies. And thank God, Stuart, we start our Nolan series Tuesday. That's right. Yeah, if you want better movies, I'm going to make the case you're going to get a lot of them as we build up to Interstellar. No one has seen Interstellar here yet, but I've seen all of the other movies made by Christopher Nolan, and I'm a fan. I'll be a fan on that series. You can bet there's going to be green arrows for every movie we cover following Memento, Insomnia, 
and the prestige leading up to Interstellar. We've already covered the Batman trilogy and Inception, so we don't need to do those again. But uh, you can listen to those shows as well as we go through the entire resume of Christopher Nolan. Yes, that starts Tuesday. And then don't forget, also out today, as I've already mentioned, Leprechaun in space. (laughs) Can it be worse than Annabelle? We'll find out. It might not be boring. It looks cheaper. (laughs) (laughs) So that is out today. Please, if you enjoy our shows, if you enjoy what we do, please support our show. Please make a donation. You can hear us discuss series we like more. I mean, Stuart, you willing to go on the record? You like Leprechaun more than you like the Conjuring series? No. No, definitely not. <laughs> no? That was quick. No way. No way. Well, you gave a green arrow in Leprechaun, whereas you haven't given one to Conjuring. Uh, we'll talk about that. Yes. <laughs> How about Lord of the Rings? Yes, definitely uh, a better series than, uh, than well, than a lot of what we've covered this year, frankly. <laughs> yes, you can find all that out with a silver or gold donation. All the details are at nowplayingpodcast.com. So Marjorie Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, it's over. You survived. You don't come out the other side of something like this weaker. What is there left to be scared of? Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Pretty far out, isn't it? Yeah, it's groovy. You can hear more movie reviews at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. In our archive section, you can find reviews of the Insidious films, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Saw, and hundreds more. Look what she made me do. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Sometimes when you get haunted, it's like stepping on gum. You take it with you. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. We got all the money tied up in this place and had a lot of repairs on top of that. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. I like your dolls. Now Playing's The Conjuring Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. But he's always sad. But I think something bad happened to him. Now playing credit narration by Brock. It talked to me. It said that it wants my family dead. Now playing is not affiliated with New Line Cinema, The Saffron Company, Evergreen Media Group, or Warner Brothers Pictures. The Conjuring films are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. We should talk to someone. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. The devil is the father of lies. Demons are his manipulators. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. We have to get out of here. You did good. No, you did.
You guys uh, do know that she was not stabbed in the cervix, right? I know they said cervix, but that is not where the cervix is I'm located. Aware of that, okay, yeah. I have one, so I know it's not on my side. <laughs> Noted. For some reason, I got a Ben Vereen performance off of him with his body language and everything. It was reminding me of Ben Vereen and Pippin. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah, it was. Oh, it, I didn't see that. We're I, talking about Benson, right? Yeah. Yes. No, okay. Webster. Webster's uncle. Not, not, uh, yeah. Uh, not Robert Oh, Guillaume. no, yeah. I'm thinking Robert Guillaume. Okay. Um, Benson. Or uh, Pippin. Webster's. Yeah. Webster's uncle. Who was the diabetic? The tap dancing. I don't even. I don't. I don't even know who that is. And they got some good actors in that too. I'm. Uh, got it. I want to call him Sam Jackson. I just, he just flew out of my head. What's his? Yeah, Sam Rockwell's in it. I think that's a great choice. That is as far from Sam Jackson as you can get. It is. Okay. <laughs> I just want to be clear on that. It's pretty much that they're called Sam. Got it. Okay. Did you guys notice who the nurse was that was holding the new baby Leah? Lynn Shay. Mm. No, there was no Lynn Shay in this entire series, and I think this is a big oversight, but I digress. That would be Arnie. That would be my computer over here. I don't know what. Wait, no, that wasn't this. That's not this. Mine's, mine is muted. Well, why are there Nissan ads playing in my room? I've got no Nissan anywhere on my screen. That computer's muted, that computer's muted, this computer's muted, and there are Nissan ads coming from the sky. Maybe we have our own electronics demon. We have a ghost. We know this.